Hello everybody, in this episode we're going to use some sound effects from BattleBards. If you are interested in the sound effects you hear, take a look at our show notes and see what BattleBards has to offer. There's a link to their website, BattleBards.com. They offer Prime subscriptions, so if you're interested in getting ongoing access to streaming sounds, really neat tools for putting together soundscapes for your games, you can find it there. They've got everything, all sorts of neat sounds that you can tap into for your games. And if you use our special discount code of STACK, you'll get 20% off of their Prime subscription cost. So check it out and let them know that we sent you by using our code STACK. As we've mentioned in previous shows, we are very thankful for those of you who have taken the time to leave us a review. If you haven't done that and you've been enjoying the show, why don't you let us know? Let us know that you've enjoyed it and what you like about it. We'd love to hear from you on iTunes if you leave us a a review and a rating that would really help us to know what we're doing right. And if you have any constructive criticism, we'd love to hear that too. But just let us know through a review and that'll help others to be able to find us as well. I have a couple of things I want to ask before we get started. The first one is more a free form discussion. And so in this game so far in Stack of Dice, we've been using the three pillar experience system. And I know, Meredith, you're new to the game in general, so this is all you've really ever known. But Pretty much. for Michael and Thane, I'm interested in knowing what you think of this approach as opposed to the more common experience point advancement. And then for all three of you, what do you like, what do you dislike about the three-pillar experience? Well, Jim. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rhett, the DM for Stack of Dice. <laughs> um, I like the simplicity of it. It's a little easier to manage and maintain uh, 100 points per level. I like that. Um, I originally liked the common one because it felt more like video games, something I'm more used to. Like as you grow to level, it's always more experience points to get to the next level. So I'm used to like role-playing games in that regard or something like that. But I don't dislike this one. Like I said, it's a little easier to manage. And you know like right away that the next one is going to be 100 points. It is very weird for me to hear, like, when we do something cool or whatever, you're like, okay, go ahead and take a, an experience point for that. Just one experience point. You're like, wait a minute, that's easily worth 50 experience points, but it's not under this system. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that has been, that's been difficult to hear every single time for me, actually. <laughs> you're like, go ahead and take an experience point for that. Like, one? <laughs> but, but it was cool. <laughs> but, then I, but then I go back to like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're only going to 100 per, per level. Yeah. So. I definitely, uh, I definitely do like this system a lot more. Um, with my group of friends at high school, um, I, I run a D and D club. Uh, last year, it was uh, I was running based off of the the default or original experience system. Rules as written. It was it was we it was difficult and also kind of inconvenient because we would be you know we would wrap up a session, um, and I would award experience points. And then one of you know the question almost every every day was so how much do we need to get to get to level five or so, and I would have to flip there constantly. Um, That's why no, you get it tattooed on your arm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like this much better. It's easier to keep track of, and it's easier to kind of award experience points, and it's easier to get experience points as well because this awards not only your ability your uh combat prowess as it was because you know every monster had its experience point its challenge rating which determined experience points gained um but with this system you're awarded for combat for interaction and for exploration which i feel that we uh get rewarded well in this podcast yeah that helps because we don't because this is such a long story you know we can't have exciting battles every single game there's got to be some times where we're just traveling and we're exploring places where we're just meeting the townspeople and so otherwise we'd have whole weeks where we end up with nothing and i've really enjoyed having it as three pillars with not only combat but also social interactions and exploration because that encourages you to to try new things to go out and try and convince somebody who is super powerful to do something or to go to that place over there that normally you might just, eh, it's just a side thing. Although I think Thane is probably the only one that really keeps in mind that, look, if we fully explore this place, 
we're going to get a full 10 points. Whereas I'm, Not necessarily. I, well, yeah, you're right. But I mean, I'm, I'm never, ever thinking of let's fully explore this place. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm let's get like, to the need... tasks that yeah. we're need, and let's get out of here, which I don't know, maybe, maybe depending on the place, uh, like yeah, Sedge, and now we can pass up Sedge. I don't Definitely. need to fully explore yeah. that place. <laughs> but, but like Flenmore, I would yeah. maybe love to have stuck around there a little, little while longer, but yeah, I know maybe. it was like, you know, the... the it felt like we stayed there for a long time. Already. Didn't we do like two or three games? It in was the- several episodes. <laughs> like yeah. two or three episodes oh. worth of just trying to get to the stinking library. But, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. in the library. Hey. And then how do we get out of here? We were there forever. It seems like, as though so. that place is so huge, though. We could yeah. probably be there for a long time. And, yeah. then, and then we'd get lost. And of course, the Iron Stag is like, go now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. In the future, maybe we could do, or even like at our, if we do get picked up for the uh, for the Comic Con in May, mm-hmm. maybe we could do a one shot of different characters in Flenmore just doing something. So you could explore fun. a different part of it and yeah. be somebody different for a bit. I want to be the Plague Doctor. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Dan's obsessed with the Plague Doctor. <laughs> He's so cool. All right, now for the actual question. This one is more in line with what we're used to doing at the beginning. I am part of a small group of dungeon masters who meet online. They meet every week. I join in every other week. And basically we just talk about the ins and outs of running games as a dungeon master. And it's been a lot of fun to be a part of. But one of the questions that came up in our last discussion was, uh, how do we get a game started? How do we get our players into their characters before a game? And one of the DMs came up with an idea that... I believe he uses he's used in his own games and that is to ask questions of the players to think about what your characters felt and so this series of questions here is going to be me asking you the player to think about what your character felt and we're going to use the last episode as our basis for these questions so Womberbash Michael what did Womberbash feel when the door began to lower in the tomb's disc room? Um, this is after we finally figured out how after to open you, it or whatever? Yes, and the door um, began to lower. What was Womberbash feeling as that happened? I, I, from Womberbash's perspective, he was probably like, I hope it's a more open room in the next room, or I uh, hope there's sunlight of some, some sort. Uh, he, he didn't want to be in that. that current room for any longer than he had to be at at that point. And it's because of what you mentioned in the last episode with his claustrophobia as one of his three fears. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course him being outside most of the time too, and just like more of an outdoor person, it's not his cup of tea to be in those, (laughs) uh, to those, you know, small air, dark areas like that. Right. Okay, good. Peter, Thane. Oh dear. What did Peter feel when he was reconnected with a star stone and reestablished a direct connection with his goddess? Joy. And also kind of relief, I would say. He was definitely he had that great sense of loss when Rebek took my star stone. Traitor. Um, traitor. But the uh, but my main concern was that I I don't have this quick and easy way to heal people like I've gotten so accustomed to and he also just, it gave him greater faith in Visham, that Visham did actually have god powers that I could channel through this stone. He liked having the stone because he felt Visham's power and was able to more effectively do as she taught him. As long as he held that stone, the original stone, he was tied to her and able to more effectively serve her in Vardalon. Yeah. And when he lost it, he suddenly felt purposeless and adrift. Yeah, I would. I'll probably say he did. He did feel like he had almost fallen out of grace hmm. with her. All right. So the moment that you realize that, oh no, this is another star stone, and he picked it up, that feeling of relief came flooding in. Yeah. Okay. Good. Meredith, what did Tira feel as she leapt from the stairs in the final room of the tomb and buried her great axe in the back of the mummy? Satisfaction. Why is that? That overall was a good fight for Tira. It was a great fight. <laughs> it was a really good fight for Tira, and it, it kind of harkened back in in a in one of the only positive senses to the experience in the delve 
just that ability to come to the aid and the rescue of others because her friends were, I, I forget, I mean, how, well, didn't Peter almost die or someone almost died? Peter almost died. That's right. Yeah. It was because of your spirit guardian at the end. Right. That's but right. Basically That's saved right. my life. Yeah. Uh, you were, you had gotten down to zero and then I realized, Hey, wait a minute. Isn't that, doesn't that monster, uh, isn't he at a disadvantage because he's not attacking me? Yeah. So it was just a moment for her when she got to really be a hero again. Yeah. Be a hero and, and resolve that situation for her friends and for the, for the whole team. And considering the amount of trouble you had had hitting in previous battles. Oh my word. Yeah. It was satisfying for me. Too. Yeah. So <laughs> you were finally connecting and on a connection doing 17 points of damage at plus. I mean, that was crazy. So I'm going to have to start strengthening the monsters. I nah. thought. <laughs> Cause <laughs> no, you've proven. That was good, honey. That was good. <laughs> you've proven. Good, good. I, I just thought that this would be a useful exercise for getting you thinking like your character again. It's it's always that slow ramp up at the beginning of a game yeah. to begin thinking that way. One other thing that I want to do before we actually get to the game, and that is to announce the inclusion of something called achievements in our games. And so what I have done is I've prepared a short list of achievements where if you do something that meets the criteria for one of these achievements, then it unlocks for a brief period of time a special bonus. I will not tell you what these achievements are. You're just going to have to unlock them by happenstance or by trying new things. So I'm looking forward to you discovering what these achievements are and getting some of those benefits and sometimes it might even just be a silly benefit. It might just be something frivolous. I got this idea from a fellow DM and friend, uh, Harold of the All Ages role-playing game podcast. And so it's been fun getting to know him and talk with him about game ideas. He uses this in his game as well, and I just thought it sounded like a fun thing to try. Add a little spice every now and then. Follow a band of intrepid friends as they seek to understand the world changing around them and as they work together to face a growing evil. Enter a world of adventure and mystery in Vardalon. This is Rhett, the DM of this 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons adventure set in the homebrewed world of Vardalon. With me is... Meredith as Tyr Ironstag. Michael as Womberbash Bensonmum. Thane as Peter Greyhawk. And I did not write a recap, so this is going to be from memory, and I will ask for your aid as I do this. In the last episode, the party, now known as the Heroes of Arden, were lost in a sandstorm, separated from their guide, Fashan, and as they made their way, tried to make their way through the narrow canyons of this rocky area of the desert, found what looked like shelter and they got themselves out of the shelter and into the safety of this cave out of the wind and the sand only to discover that it was not just a little outcropping of rock but the entrance to an ancient tomb and as they pressed into the tomb and uncovered several puzzles and uh, overcame some various challenges they came at last to a final room where there was a climactic battle with a mummy and they emerged from that battle victorious still alive, and now they have rejoined Fishan outside in the canyon. Only to find that the crevice through which we went into the tomb had mysteriously vanished. That's right. Who's ready to tell a story? Me. Me. This is a little unusual, but we pull up and away, leaving the sand and the stone, and return to the familiar cold of the northwest part of the continent of Edelin. The prisoner's ship that we saw last time bobs at a new, bleak anchorage. The land stretches away to some interminable distance, and even at this time of year when life is returning to the lower lands of temperate Edelin, the ground here is still firm with ice. From the ship, our eye is drawn to iron-gray cliffs that tower over the steely waters. At their top is a forbidding sight. Angular towers and thick stone walls rise from the promontory, standing almost black against the reddening western sky. 
there are no windows in the walls of the complex, but atop the walls, guards move with watchful regularity. They do not look outside the walls, but within. This is a prison, and it is built along lines that are intended to drag down the spirits of those sent here to rot away in the cold and the isolation. At the west end of the prison, on the landward side, a gate of black iron has creaked open only moments before. We hover above the prison's central yard in time to see the now familiar prisoner being led in. The breath of the detachment rises in little blue clouds, and their footsteps ring on frozen stones, the creeping frost emerging with growing courage in the last light of the day. As they pass one of the fortified buildings within the prison, a member of the detachment steps aside with a small metal coffer. He raises the lid to verify the contents, a smooth metal mask with two inset pieces of stone, one milky white and one ebony black, before handing the small chest to a thin-faced guard inside. The detachment comes to a halt in front of the warden, a heavy man who shivers even through his thick furs and gloves. He shakes his head, walking slowly around the prisoner who stands in metal chains, shivering. When the prisoner attempts to turn to follow the warden, one of the detachment yanks on his chain, pulling the prisoner to his knees. There is silent laughter from the guards and warden, but the prisoner's face settles into a determined look, and he manages to find his feet once more. The detachment moves toward a yawning doorway that leads into the frozen ground within the prison. Before the solid doors swing shut, we can see lines of prison cells and haunted faces of other desperate prisoners pressed against the unyielding bars. Then we are pulled southward in the sky, settling into a narrow gorge filled with the smells of camel, where the heroes of Arden continue their quest. Ooh. So is all this stuff happening concurrently with us? Or are we getting flashbacks or flash forwards? I don't know. You do too. <laughs> um, you know. You just don't want us to know. Um, so it's obvious that that prisoner guy is still, still that guy who killed the king because we got the mask and all that. Yeah, I forgot about the mask. What's he, that? He, uh, when, in the first cutscene we saw when you came in and just stabbed the king. Right. Um dad said under under his hood there was no face just a smooth metal mask oh. with um two stones inset where the eyes were the guy who ran the king through was wearing yes that? one oh, okay. one white one black oh it's been so long ago i forgot all about that yeah and that was that, episode four yeah <laughs> and that was and you know the, the black eye white eye that's like what we saw in our dreams and all that stuff so i think <laughs> forgot about that too i'm not gonna listen to these things that was episode seven <laughs> Wait, do, do you memorize that? No. How often do you come across these storms? <laughs> uh, Fishan is bobbing in his saddle, swaying with the motion of the camel. They come frequently, but sane people stay indoors. You calling us crazy? He's calling himself crazy, too. How much longer does it take for us to get there? He looks up at the, at the sky, which is purpling, and he gives a little shrug. A few hours, perhaps. And then as he is looking around, you see his shoulders suddenly stiffen as though he realizes something. And then they sag. What's the matter? I fear this storm has gotten my head confused. I had not intended to take us this way. Are we lost? No, we are far from lost. But I fear... We are approaching a place of great sorrow and loss. Are we in danger? No danger. You will see. We in Ankar call it the Valley of the Bones. Many long years ago there was a great kingdom here, but all that is left is their tombs. It is bad enough to pass it by in daylight. I do not like to pass it at all, but the Simum has confused me, and I have vowed to get you to Jamabai tonight. But that's not the worst of it, this Valley of the Bones. Because we do not often come here, it has become a haven for the Marda Ajad, those with the rotting disease. Our law says we are to put them out, to recognize them no more, and since they have no welcome among their own, 
They have made a new home among the tombs. He shudders. Their cry of warning is terrible, but if we are lucky, we will be through before they know we are there. Oh, he says as his face tightens. We are there. So, um, he's already used two words in Abaid, I assume, that I can add to my library. Okay, what are the two words? Simum and Mara Abjad or something like that. <laughs> Marda, Marda Ajad. Ajad. Okay. Yeah, so the first one, the... Say it again, buddy. Simum. Simum. Sandstorm. Sandstorm yes. or something like that. And that's actually an Arabic word. Uh, so it's actually actually a type of sandstorm. But the Marda Ajad, like many of the other words I use for the Arbanim language, are corruptions of Arabic. So they're not far off of, if you were to look up some of these words, mm-hmm. uh, you would find that they are close to the Arabic. How many people have this rotting disease? Oh, scores. Is it... Communicable? I mean, are we in danger of catching this rotting disease from them as we pass through? Thankfully, they have enough love for humanity still that they keep themselves separate. Enough love for humanity still? You make it sound as if they're no longer human. A pained expression crosses his face, and he says no more. The trail widens considerably opening up into a steep valley off to your left. It runs parallel to the road. It is washed in the last lingering moments of sunlight. Because of the shadows cast by the setting sun, you can see tall, weathered, carved figures in profiled relief that rise from the floor, standing about 60 feet tall. Pocking the walls of the valley, you can see shallow entrances to ancient tombs. Some lead to inky black, Evidence of extremely bold grave robbers, but most are still intact. The slab of stone protecting the occupants in their eternal slumber. Along the valley floor, to your left, you can make out tongues of yellow fluttering in the gloom. These fitful cooking fires mark the center of the colony of the sick, and you can see hunched figures moving about. And your camels are just continuing to amble on. Now, if, if you can imagine this in your mind's eye, you are going on a road that's basically going straight across this valley. The valley itself mostly lies on your left side of the road, mm-hmm. and it runs parallel to the road. So everything that you're seeing may be 100 yards across to the far wall of this valley. So it's not a whole lot of space, but it's still enough space that there's some distance between the encampment so and we're not worried about them hearing us? Or we are worried about them hearing us? Fishan seems to think that you might be able to get through without being noticed, or he, that seems to be his hope. Right. But we can speak to each other, right? We're not, we're not trying to be like, whisper so that they can't. He doesn't, he's not warned you to, to yeah. silence or secrecy or anything. Is, has anyone ever tried to help them? Find a cure, maybe? What help is there? We have tried, we have doctors, we have great physicians who try and have tried for years to fix this and it continues to eat away at their bodies. I wonder if Peter could help. Suddenly one of the figures down in the encampment does seem to spy you, straightens and points in your direction and you can hear excited voices over the short distance. Almost immediately, an eerie, ear-shaking trilling begins. It rises and falls, and the people surge toward the road, stopping about a hundred feet short. Some tear at their hair, some weep as they make this horrible sound, but all look desperate to provide the warning not to approach or risk catching the disease that has affected them so deeply. For those of you listening, I will put in the show notes a link to a video, an excerpt from Lawrence of Arabia, the movie from 1962 of a tribe of Arabs going off to battle and the women wailing like this as the men are marching off to battle. As you pass a certain point in this line of people lined up to your left, again, about a hundred feet away from the road, 
one of the figures stops her screaming and lurches forward. She manages through a jaw that hangs crookedly on one side. Her face is a mass of sores, but her intelligent eyes burn with recognition. Fashan flinches and his head slowly turns to look. You can see tears streaming down his face. He tries to say something, but is overcome, and he slumps forward on the neck of his camel, almost slipping off as his arms become weak. Fashan, who is that? He's completely overcome. Hey, Peter, is there something you can do for these people? Don't use lay on hands. All right, so... Um, there's, there seems to be a lot of them, though. Would, would you be able to do anything for all of them, or only a couple or something? No, I can't. I have an idea, which I think is pretty dope, but I guess it just depends upon the dungeon master. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm thinking I want to loan you my um, stone. Remember, he has one. his. I know. But I'm thinking, he, I mean, that's a lot of people. And for them to, for him to heal different variations of this type of sickness um, might be a lot or might take a lot out of him. I'm not really exactly sure how this works. I know my powers drain me. So I don't know. You guys probably have never used your powers as much as I have. have to use mine for mine. So no. I'm wondering if I gave you my stone and maybe if uh, uh, Tira gave you her stone, with the three stones combined using in your power, you might be able to handle more people. Well, okay, so... Well, I mean, didn't that... One time we tried to hold the stones together and it, like, made us sick. But we were separate. But if we just put the stone down and he picked it up, it might assume his power and therefore he would have three stones worth of power. Well, so I was thinking of using uh, Leon Hands, which I get from being a paladin, and basically just gives me a well of just hit points that I can basically transfer to people. Um, But we're talking about 100 people. Well, what I can do is I get... Five times my paladin level worth of hit points, so I have five hit points, and what I can do is I can either give hit points, or I can use up five to cure a disease. I was going to say, they don't need hit points. <laughs> no, I know, but yeah, I, I could basically use up five, so I'll be using up all but of my But is that only on one individual? Only on one individual. See, that, that's my point. I but think I, you would need a lot more power. I mean, unless you just want to try this lady. Yeah, just I, try I, the and I, I, don't, I don't have, like, cure disease or anything. My only, spell. my only fear, though, is let's say you cure this lady. The other ones might go berserk because they yeah. want to be cured as well. So that's, that's my only trepidation about that. So that's why I'm thinking if we can lend our stones to you, maybe you've got more power to do a more global heal. Um, it's up to well, you. Well, he's looking at you because you would have to make up the, the mechanics of this. That's fine. I've got something. Ooh, he has something. All right. Well, I have all the confirmation I need. <laughs> How much of this are we keeping in or cutting out? This, I think this is all fine to keep in. Okay. All right. So I'm going to say, hey, Peter, this, like a lot of people, maybe you should use my stone too. And I take my stone off of my arm because it's on a um, on the band, bristlet. Yeah. And I put it down onto the ground. You're both riding camels. I'm sorry. I put it, um, I, th- I toss it to you. I catch it. Okay. All right. Here. Peter, take mine too. Maybe it'll help. Kind of hastily set one. Mm-hmm. Set, uh, you can put it on. It's in a bracelet. Uh, I th- didn't you take it out of your bracelet? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you, you just took, took the bracelet. bracelet off. All right, well, I, p- I put on the bracelet and then I catch yours. Uh, what happens when I hold all three of these? Womberbash and Tira, as you hand your stones, toss your stones over to Peter, you immediately begin to feel a sense of great loss a sorrow that you have not known ever, even with the loss of your parents, nothing has ever affected you like this. And you feel as though a piece of you has left. Good grief. These things are like straight addictive or something. Peter, as soon as you have all three, a wave of nausea passes over you, followed immediately by a sense that you can do anything. (laughs) And in fact, as you are riding on your camel, you can hear a voice speaking to you. Peter Greyhawk. And you know immediately that this is Visham herself speaking to you. I stop my camel, I get on my knees. You fall to your knees on the side of the road and Visham, hearing that you dismount and the clatter of your armor as you fall and the, the others yeah, around you, stop. they all pull to a stop. I have one brush's bracelet on my left arm and I have a stone in each hand. I'm just like 
holding them out. I have my, my face up in the sky, and can I just have my eyes roll back, not of my own volition, but because of this, you know, overwhelming sense of magic. My eyes are rolled back involuntarily as I'm just sitting there with my mouth gaping up at the sky. You do all this, and the voice continues. I have called you to serve me as paladin. This is the power you can wield. A light flashes out from Peter and seems to illuminate the entire valley as Peter shakes in a spasm of uncontrollable emotion. Light rolls over the valley followed by the sound of a deep sonic boom. And when the light and the sound dissipate, everyone in the valley has been knocked prone. Silence reigns for a moment. And then the first of the people, the Marda Ajad, gets to his feet and he looks down at his hands. His eyes grow wide with wonder. No more is his skin tainted with this disease. And he helps others up and they come to gather in silence around the still prone form of Peter on the ground. Peter is insensate. He's not registering anything going on in the world, but both of his fists are clenched around stones. His eyes are rolling back, and he looks to be in danger of biting his own tongue. He's in a spasm, in a frenzy on the ground. I, I dive forward and maybe wrench my stone out of his hand and say, Peter! And I, I run over real quick and uh, take the bracelet off of his arm. Okay. Immediately, his spasms begin to subside. And Fashan is down also by your side. He has a concerned hand on your shoulder, and he's scanning the crowd of people who are now crowding around. And these people, not one of them, bears any trace of the disease that once affected them. <laughs> Peter, <You're> welcome. <laughs> Peter, in your dream, or not dream, but in your state, it's almost as if time has slowed. And... Everything that you have done, you've, you saw the light roll through the valley. You heard the sound. You heard Vasham talking to you. But as soon as the stones are taken from your hand, there is a hunger inside you. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a hunger of the power that you have touched. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And so you are going to be unconscious for several hours because of the amount of power that just flowed through you. But basically, you have freed this group of people from their disease. Excellent. And now we've dope. turned Peter into a golem. <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? Oh, no! It's, it's His hair is falling out. Yeah. I'm getting all skinny and... Yes. Armor is turning into a loincloth. So I, I pick up Peter and I, I put him over, yeah. the, uh, over, the, over, um, over the camel. He slumps over his camel... And Fashan is just beside himself. Yeah. Uh, he. Who was the lady? <laughs> they begin running their fingers through each other's hair, and it's obvious that they were husband and wife oh. at one time. Sorry. And, and they. <laughs> <laughs> that was her, not Peter. <laughs> Cheer up. They, there are no words. Their eyes are just completely focused on each other. There are smiles through tears. There's. There's no way <laughs> that you're going to be able to pry them apart. For free. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We want our rebate. <laughs> Goodness, what do we do after that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I say, uh, listen, won't we help her, the Mrs. Mrs. Fashan up on the camel, and let's continue on our way. Okay, after several minutes of them just realizing where things are now, uh, Fashan does lead her to his camel, puts her up in front of him, and with what's going to happen to all these people now he has conferred with some of the people who stepped forward and basically from what you gather through their hurried conversation they have agreed to band together and head back to Ankar and hope to find entrance back into the city and into life again mm. so Say. Uh, I think Peter should get a new a new name something like uh the, the giver of light the hand or, of a sham or the the bringer of light or something something yeah, he should get some type of title let's do that okay so let's go with a name what what kind of name so fashan before he mounts his camel after his wife he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says i call you 
Lightbringer. And, yeah. and in, in Abayid, which is the dialect he speaks, what should that be? Oh, grief. I'm oh, don't make me words. come up with... Don't make me come up with... I think word. it should be Shish Kebab. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we just lost Rolling any Middle like East. That. He's got something. No, I don't got something. Got yeah, something. I'm not coming up with anything because I don't know Arabic or any Middle East. Semitic language. I will not attempt. I mean, yeah. What would that be for real? I don't know. I'm oh. going to Google Translate. Hold on a second. But let's, let's say... Min Shafa. Min Shafa. Okay. Let's go with M I N apostrophe S H A F F A. Okay. So you are now at least to Fashan, and perhaps once he gets back to Ankar and spreads the tale of what wonders happened here. Yeah, right. He's going to be like a local legend. You'll be Peter Min Shafa. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Muadib. <laughs> you should be known as Peter Muadib. <laughs> okay. So we'll say that uh, Fashan and his wife are mounted. You all get back on your camels. The rest of the people have gathered their meager possessions and already begun filing back toward the city of Ankar. And you proceed through the rocky gorges and emerge at last from the dark warren of the rocky place. Night has since fallen. Ahead, the land sweeps down, turning from the firm stone you've been on back into the sandy waste of the desert. The moon, one night past full, rides high in the sky like a shiny silver coin, and the distant stars show white against the velvety black of night. The light illuminates the sand so it looks almost blue, and a deep silence seems to dare you to make a noise. So we're supposed to ride straight onto the night to get there, right? Why can we not stop? He said, we ride... I remember, I remember when we set off with him, he said, no, we ride through the night, like... Based on conversation with him, which was pretty sparse up until now, where he just seems to be happy to talk about everything, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of concern about bandits... And so it was more a concern about safety rather than timing. I'm loving my mantle right about now because yes, it's probably getting kind of cold. Yeah. yeah, so during the day, the temperatures are 100, 120 degrees. Within the space of about two or three hours when the sun goes down, it drops 60 degrees. And the change is mm-hmm. brutally dramatic. I'm loving my unconsciousness right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what am I loving? <laughs> Actually, let's say, Peter, as you... as the small caravan (laughs) McDonald's. She's like, um, what am I loving? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. You love nothing. (laughs) You emerge from the rocky terrain and that first cool breeze passes over you and shocks you out of your enforced slumber, Peter. (laughs) Guys, I had the best dream. (laughs) Peter, are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great. What happened? Why did, why w- was I asleep? I uh, kind of look at Bash. Not quite sure what to tell him. How much to tell him? You tell you, me you, everything. You, you, you healed all those people. All those people are no longer sick. The. I, I what? Yeah, it was, it was. It was crazy, like, when you grabbed all the stones, like, you, you basically dropped off your camel, camel, and, and you, you, and, um... <laughs> Come on, Bess! I am a stutterer, so that actually, I guess it's That's true, that's true, you just play into it. And, and basically, light flew out of you, and, and there was, like, this big boom, and then, like, all of us were, were, like, knocked back, and then when, when we came up off the ground like the people were were healed but then you started shaking like a lot and so tira had to to take the stone out of your hand and i had to take my bracelet off of you and then after that um you peed your pants <laughs> i quick i <laughs> i quickly check my pants they're bone dry <laughs> my goodness uh your jaw aches mm-hmm. and your your shoulders feel sore 
there's nothing that yeah. really seems like it should have caused the pain that you're feeling. So you can fully believe that you are seizing up as you are listening to Walmart Bash talking about them taking back their stones. You happen to glance down at his wrist and see the strap with the red stone in it. And a great longing comes over you. You want that stone. Oh, no. <laughs> Guys, what did you do to me? <laughs> you want that stone. Peter, you don't remember any of this? Oh, oh no, no. I, rem- I remember. I remember it. Now, whether or not you choose to act on it, whether or not you choose to vocalize this desire, that's up to Peter. But, and you don't need to do anything about it right now. I subcon- my, ha- my hand subconsciously raises itself to basically just take it right off of his wrist. There's, well, I mean, there's a good am- yeah, they're on, you're on separate camels. There's some distance between I you. I have a really, really long arm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go, go gadget arm. <laughs> I'm going to assume that that's it for now. Okay. Peter is up. His head is throbbing. After another hour of travel across the sand... You see ahead an especially large sand dune. It must be every bit of a mile long and stretches north to south. You're approaching it from the west. A cool breeze plays across its soft crest, kicking up a small spray of fine dust. As it does, Tira, some faint little detail in the dark catches the merest corner of your eye. Oh, if, I have to say, what is that? If you want to do a perception check. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought, basically, I thought you were just going to go on. Your passive perception okay. combined with your dark vision has allowed you to see this, whatever it was. To see that there's something over there to yes. see. And now that, you, now that you are aware something is possibly right. there, you can do an active perception check. Yes. 18 plus, I don't know what. Nice. Your uh, wisdom modifier. Wisdom. Two. Okay. So 20. As you're staring into the dark, and I can see you just kind of leaning forward on your camel, you can see it looks like almost like somebody has taken the edge of a cloak and flapped it up and back down, and you see a foot kick against the sand. Once you realize this, you can actually make out three figures lying prone at the top of the dune, like they're just peering over the top edge across to the other side of the dune. So they're on your side, facing away from you okay. at the top of the dune, and it's like they're spying over the top of the dune. Oh. Bash, Peter. Do, yeah. do, you see those, do you see those figures over there up ahead? I don't see anything. Uh, no. There you, are people up there. I look over one It must Bash. be those eyes of yours, because I can't see anything. What do your dwarven eyes see? <laughs> I see Wait, a donut that- covered in chocolate. <laughs> Oh, Elven Eyes. Elven Eyes. Is that, is that, isn't that from something? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I know. Lord of the Rings. No, I, I see people up there. There's a there's a ridge ahead, a, a sand dune. You can definitely see the sand dune. Okay. It's gigantic. Okay, so up there on the, on the sand dune ahead, there are three people. And it's like they're looking down into the valley beyond. I don't know. I, I wonder, there must be something past there. Hey, Fashan, is something over that dune? He is stirred out of his reverie. He and his wife have just been staring at each other in the moonlight. He looks startled and and peers, and at first his human eyes don't really pick up anything like yours, Bash, and Peter. But after a moment, his desert sensibilities kick in, and he says, Ah, yes, I see. What do you see? What's over there? He says, Only bandits could be out at this time of night. Perhaps they lie and wait for someone. Well, they're facing away from us. I don't think they see us. What do we do? I think at this point, you are on your own. Uh, what? I, I do not fight. You're not leaving us. Jama is just over that ridge. I, mean, I guess I don't blame him because I don't even want to be here right now either. <laughs> but I guess... He's with his wife now. Maybe we should just send him back home and we can continue on if it's just over that that area. Are you sure it's just over? How do you telling us the truth? Maybe he just doesn't want to fight the bandits. I will wait here. You figure out. And if all is as I say, I will leave then. All right, I'm going to... How far away is it? You said the dune is... The dune is probably... Hmm, 
I'd say maybe 300 yards away. It's a good distance. Mm-hmm. Which one of us is the stealthiest? I'm thinking it's not me. Uh, dexterity here is comes like, a dwarf. Yeah, yeah. My dexterity is 14. That was one of my well, lower rolls. Look at the stealth next to dexterity. It's nothing. Okay. Yeah, Wombervesh has the best dexterity. Oh, do no you? No stealth, though. No stealth. Okay. Because I'm just thinking one, at least one of us, I don't know if it would be terribly sneaky for all three of us to go up there to kind of get a better look at them. Although, but I can see them from the farthest away, so I wouldn't have to necessarily be super stealthy. They'd have, they would have to get closer in order to see more. Maybe I'm, I'm going to go up there. I'll say, okay, you two stay, stay here. No, I'll go. A fight is not advantageous. Remember? I'm not. I didn't say anything about fighting. I'm going to go see, see who it is. Okay. Yeah, I'll go. So let me uh, roll. Okay. You, I'm going to say you can cover 200 yards without any special stealth. Once you get to that last 100, though, you're really going to need to slow it down. So why don't you give me three stealth rolls? What was, what was the first one? Six. Six. Twelve. Twelve. Seventeen. Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get quieter and quieter as you... No, that's not without my... my um... He goes running and blundering the first hundred yards. So that would, that, that, that would be 17 plus three, so it would be 20 on that last roll. In the first third of that distance... I'm louder than a mug. <laughs> <laughs> You're going... <sighs> He's running on all fours. <laughs> but uh, pro- progressively getting better from 12 to yeah. or 6 Unfortunately, their their contested check of them, they heard you in that first third. And so as you are trying to sneak up on them, you can see them scrabble down. They don't stand up. They're far too wary for that. Just they stay on this side and they slide down before they stand up to ensure that their heads are not seen oh. above the ridge. Understood. And you can see three figures starting to walk towards you. Okay. And what do I see? You see this also, but from 200 yards further away. What do I see? You see nothing. (laughs) I am blind. Hey, brothers, what do you see? They don't answer you, but their hands immediately drop to their sides where you would expect their weapons to be. Brothers, tell me, what do you see? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately you are speaking Morrigan with no. a with an accent hey orale what do you see <laughs> what do you see Hans Bash, shut up Bash. <laughs> that does it as they just like pull on yeah. his neck as you come to that common space between you you can see a stately-looking woman. She's one of those rare people that seems taller than she actually is. She carries herself with a very straight-backed posture that seems to command attention, and certainly the two men with her stand back from her. But her regal deportment uh, lets you know that this is not just a common bandit. Okay, I'm, I'm going to put my hands up and just drop to my knees. Okay, I've started making my way towards Bash. Okay, when Peter. You, when you I, see him drop to yeah. his knees? Well, when I hear him shouting at them, like get, calling their attention. Uh, Peter, I think we better get up there. All right, I'm going to stand. I'm just going to ride my camel up there. I'm not going to proceed on foot. Okay. Are you on your camel still, Tira? No, I think I okay. jumped down and started running. Tira up. has already started running forward toward Womber Bash, who you, as you approach, you see him go down to his knees and his hands up. And as the woman takes this in, she sees two figures behind Womberbash approaching her, plus Womberbash, and even more figures behind you with Fashan and his wife. Oh, no. She says, Who are you, and why do you talk so loudly? I, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm new in this Shh, land. I don't... Lower your voice. I, I, I'm just traveling. I, I, I don't know this land. Get up. You look ridiculous. He gets gets up awkwardly. (laughs) You stand, and even with your five foot 
six or seven? I forget. No, you're bigger than that. 5'11". 5'11". You are towering over her. She's probably just over five feet tall. Again, not very big, but her attitude, her bearing, just seems to create an aura around her. And as she, as you stand, her two warriors next to her on either side drop into not a crouch, but they're, you can tell that they're ready. They're, they're leaning forward on the balls of their feet, and they're ready in case you decide to pull something. Have we gotten there yet? <laughs> you've, you pull up just in time to hear her say, Get up, you look ridiculous. And she says, If they were not so close, I would slay you here. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, wait. <laughs> Who are you? I, I, like, like I said, we're, we're just, we're just travelers. Just travelers, huh? And you can see her lean back a little bit, and she begins. You can see visibly, almost, that she is thinking. So she's not that much I mean, bigger you, than you, me. You, you can see, Fashan, tell her, tell her, we're just... You're... Fashan stayed Fashan's back. Fashan's not with us. Oh, He's yeah, back with his wife. Okay, there, there's a man out there. His name is Fashan. He was helping us. He's just showing us the way. I see. The way to what? Uh, to, um, what are we going? Saudi Arabia? <laughs> <laughs> You've answered yeah, plenty yeah. of your questions already. Are Who are you? A smile plays across her mouth. And with, not condescension, but confidence she turns to you and says i am sadia okay <laughs> your direct response seems to amuse her and she says i like you what is your name sorry <laughs> that was me not tira game recognized tira game of the clan <laughs> i understand game recognized game <laughs> my name is tira and I don't lower my voice for people I don't know. You would lower your voice if you know that across this dune are more than 100 armed enemy soldiers. Okay. <laughs> Come with me. And she turns and she walks back to the dune to where it's been disturbed. And she, she walks up about halfway and then drops to her stomach and bashes the rest of the way up. <laughs> <laughs> And within seconds, she has managed to slide back up to her previous perch. And do you follow her? Okay. Ooh, warrior girl, let's go. Well, yeah. Me on my camel with my scale mail. I'm just going to kind of chill, chill back. You're staying here. at the base of the dune? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or okay. as close so as I'm, I can get without, you know, peeking over the top. Mm-hmm. So I'm becoming intrigued by, she seems almost a kindred spirit of some sort. Uh, so I imitate you know, and kind of crawl up next to her. Mm-hmm. And Wamberbash, what are you doing? Um, I'm going to take out my crystal lenses that I got from, from Assemories, and I'm going to put them on um, because I'm right now I'm wishing I had that glass tube thing <laughs> that, I was, that, that, that I was so expensive before. But yeah, right? I'm just going to try these to see if they do anything. Okay. As you put them on, the darkness of the night seems to dissipate just the tiniest bit. And you can see the outlines of the people in front of you. Night vision goggles. Not night vision. I know. Uh, But you almost feel that if you wanted to, you could speak to the core of either Tira or Sadia or her warriors and almost get them to do whatever you wanted them to do. In the cool blue moonlight... Perhaps a quarter mile distant, you see a line of pack animals, more dark blots than anything else, trudging along under the occasional whip that echoes in the stillness. Their backs are burdened with great bundles that must be heavy because the beasts beneath them walk with lowered heads. Their numerous feet kick up a plume of silver dust that obscures what is probably a half mile long caravan. Just behind this, where the dust drifts up, you see something else. Lines of oxen strain at heavy ropes that run back to giant disks that they are pulling flat across the sand. From time to time, you can see one tip over a small dune, and the moon's luminous glow reveals that the bottom is sheathed in metal. But what makes the sight so marvelous is that perched atop each disk is an ornate tent, One half of each disc has a wall of some sort surrounding half the edge, 
Each wall stands about four feet tall. In all, there are probably twenty of these discs. The tents atop them sway slightly as they move, but they must be sturdy to weather this sort of terrain and movement consistently. Each one must be capable of housing a large number of people. As you watch, you hear the silvery sound of a distant trumpet call, and the animals are driven in different directions. Before your eyes, the discs form a large circle as figures begin to scurry like ants. Within a remarkably short amount of time, each disc has been connected to those on either side by a light bridge of rope and wood, so it's possible to pass from one platform to another without ever setting foot on the sand. Once the outer circle is complete, a wicker wall faces the outside of the entirety, protecting the interior. That is smart. That's Jama. Even as all this happens, in the circle's center, an even larger structure is taking shape. Large, flexible wands of wood are being strapped together by teams of workers. If the tents on the discs were large, this one is gargantuan, complete with corner towers as it takes shape. It must be at least 200 feet to a side. Working swiftly, the teams move in intricately orchestrated patterns, swirling about each other to attach this tense cloth to the wands. There is no wasted movement, no confusion. It's evident that its fabric is much more ornate than the other tents, and even looks as though it's been shot through with strands of gold and silver. The tents' sides sparkle resplendently in the moonlight. You have found the city of Jama. And that's where we're going to end it. What? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go over the XP here. Uh, You get one discovery point for the city of Jama. Okay. One discovery point for the Valley of Bones. Ten experience points for curing the people, the lepers, and for encountering Sadia, I'm going to give you five experience points. Nice. So let's talk Norse battle here. I like Bash's idea of uniting the stones. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, but I have awakened a hunger within Peter. Well. That will be hard to quench. <laughs> I don't know. I think enough tacos will... Flacos. <laughs> Flacos. <laughs> now we have to keep the first part in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Flaming tacos is what flacos Flaming are. taco dice. Dice, flames, tacos. Take two. And that's two out of a hundred. Because <laughs> that didn't count for much. <laughs> we didn't really do much. Yeah, we really didn't do much. Yeah. I mean, any good role playing? Any good? Me. What I'm about, talking to Sadia. Ah, that's true. Why don't you take one? What about me and how I reacted to hearing Vishal's Yeah, voice I liked his description yeah. of his, to his knees yeah. and going into a seizure and whatnot. Take two for that. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> I think at the beginning of our next time together, we will do the more official level up discussion. Yeah, because uh, I don't even have any idea what's going on in level four. Yeah, so let's go ahead and do the recap. All right, so with all those points, now Tira is 13 points into level four. Leveled up. Woo woo! Yay! There she is. There she is. Oop, there it is. <laughs> Michael? Oh, Wamberbash is 28 points into level four. My goodness. Show off. Joke. Peter Greyhawk is 15 experience points into level four. A lot of good things happening. I hope you're enjoying the pictures I'm trying to create, the, the imagery of this area. It's been a lot of fun to plan a game in this kind of terrain. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun to come up with the various things that you're running into. And... Next time, we will pick up outside the gates of Jama. And you might be approaching your first major milestone in your quest. Excellent. As always, we want to thank you for joining us for this next most recent chapter in our ongoing story. We hope you're enjoying it. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter, on Instagram, through a review on iTunes. However you want to chat with us, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think, and we will see you here again next time at Stack of Dice.
quickly as you can. First word. Uh, That's his word. Dice. <laughs> First Fla- word. Flames. Taco. On the side of my face. <laughs> dice, flames, taco. This sounds like a band a name. A band name, I call it. <laughs> Stack no. of dice. No. Flice. <laughs> Flacos. Wait. Careful. <laughs> stop combining words. Oh, yes, you need, you need to stop. That's my favorite, though. Combining words. Combining words. Do you have any flacos? <laughs> What is that? That's a flaming taco. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me with some dice in it. <laughs>